as we've been making our way through the book of Philippians, uh, there have been times when Rob will start a message and, and the section that he's teaching is, is so long that he'll start the message, and that's, it's a message, but then I'll come the next week and I'll pick up the back end and, and my message will really be the completion of the one he started. You know, one message, two parts. Happened in chapter four at the beginning, and I say that because it's happening again. Uh, to say, last week, Rob picked up here in Philippians chapter four, verse 10, verses 10 to 13, and I'll pick up 14 to 20, but it's really, today's the second part of that beginning message. Rob helped us properly understand and apply one of the most misunderstood and misapplied texts, certainly in the New Testament, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Uh, it's so often true when we remove a verse from its context, um, we find ourselves you know, applying it in a way that it was not intended to be applied. Rob did an amazing job helping us keep that verse within its context. I say this to say we have a similar challenge today. Rob read the entirety of our text, but we come to a verse that, again, is, is maybe more misunderstood, perhaps more misapplied, with greater consequences than even chapter four, verse 13. And I'm speaking of Philippians 4.19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You know, with Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ with sanctity. And I'm not making fun of anyone. As Rob said, not throwing anybody under the bus. But that verse, you know, it's often used in an athletic endeavor or someone achieves something, you know, and, and they mean well, you know, just basically, I'm, I trusted God and he enabled me to do this. But it, it's not a, an appropriate application per se, to the text, but it's also not super damaging. Can I say that? 419, misunderstood and misapplied can be devastating. It, it can make shipwreck of one's faith. Um, the, 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 the stream of Christianity that would go to this verse and certainly a, you know, a, a, a wellspring or a, a, you know, a foundational verse would be what you know, we would know, I think many of you know, would, would be like a health and wealth gospel or a prosperity gospel or a word of faith uh, theology, uh, which by the way, is, 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 it's growing way faster than conservative evangelicalism, especially in, in, in third world, other parts of the world. And, and what, I, what I mean by that in prosperity theology uh, you are taught that Christ's atoning work, that Christ atoned, he atoned for our sins. He died on the cross for our sins. That that work that Christ did not only paid for your sins, but he also secured your health, your, your well-being, your wealth and your all material provision. It's based on Old and New Testament verses that are really removed from their historic and redemptive historical context. So Philippians 4.19, for example, is said to teach that God promises to meet every need, whether financial or, or, or health. And if, 
if you're not healthy and wealthy, the problem is your faith. You might think of it this way, that it would teach that, the, that, um, that God's a gumball machine and faith is, are the coins we use. And as long as, if you can bring enough coins, you get all the gumballs that you need. Your faith unlocks all of that. That would be what that theology would teach. And I, and I really, I think this is true that millions of people's faith is shipwrecked when it doesn't happen. <laughs> they, didn't, they, didn't get, they didn't get what it was, I was supposed to get. What is this? Who is God? What's, what's going on? Certainly millions, if not billions of dollars quite frankly, bilked out of many. That's the bad news about Philippians 4.19. Let me tell you the good news. Paul means exactly what he says in this verse. And it's true. It's true what he says. This verse is truly one of the most comforting, um, hopeful joy-infusing verses that we can hold this promise and, and hold it we must. But we've got to hold it properly understood and applied. And to do that, we've got to, got to keep that baby right in its context, immediate and broader. And that's what we're going to do over these next few minutes. If, if you're not there, go ahead and open your Bibles, your booklets, your your iPads, whatever you may have, to Philippians 4. We're in verses 14 to 20. Paul or, or Carl read, read the entirety of the text we're gonna study. I'm gonna take it a verse at a time, just gonna move through it, and then we're gonna spend most our time right here around 419 that we might properly understand and apply it. Look in your Bibles, God's word to us today, beginning in verse 14. Paul writes, yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. Let's stop there and, and, and connect it to what he said before. Last week, Rob took us from 10 to 13 and, and, and you know, talked about contentment, that only satisfaction in Christ or in, you know, I can't get no satisfaction, you know, if you're gonna go there. And, and so we got contentment is satisfaction in Jesus, and he says, I, I, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So when he says, yet, okay, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble, you hear a little bit of, whoa, whoa, whoa let, me, let me clarify, this is all he's saying, a little bit of concern. Well, what's he trying to, he wants them to know that it could sound like I don't even need your gifts, that they don't even matter, you see? And so he goes, now, I can do all, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but I want you to consider, and I want you to know it was kind of you to share in my trouble. He, you know, he loves these people. He wants to know your gift mattered to me. It really mattered. And it makes a difference for me and for the kingdom. Verses 15 and 16. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into the partnership, entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Let me give you the historical picture here and it helps us understand this. We talked about this when we started our study through Philippians. How is this church planted? 
Paul is on his second missionary journey. He's in Troas. He has a vision at night. There's this guy going, come over here to Macedonia. I mean, he sees it in a vision. He wakes up the next day. He takes a boat over, little land walk there, and he, he, he comes to the Roman colony of Philippi. He, he, he chooses with Silas to go down by the river outside the gate. This is Acts 16. Acts 16, you just read all this. And, and there he finds Lydia, a very successful businesswoman. And it says, God opened Lydia's eyes and she believed the gospel. She put her faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. She and her whole household, they were all baptized. May I say this? And that is the planting of the church in Philippi. We're reading this letter about this church in Philippi founded by a businesswoman who put her faith in Christ. Paul and Silas get run out of town. When they're run out of town, they go 90 miles west, east to, um, no, west to, to Thessalonica. You know what happens in Thessalonica? Someone comes to faith in Christ, they plant a church, they get run out of town. That's, that's biblical church planting. Uh, and I'm, I'm being a little bit facetious, but, I, but there's truth in this. The best church planter apparently gets, always gets run out of town, but they leave behind that community of faith. So when he says, in the beginning of the gospel, we would just go, oh, he's going, Lydia, you know, you were the first one to come to faith in the beginning of the gospel at that time, not like of all time. No, in the beginning of the gospel in Macedonia. And when, I, when I got, we got booted out and then find ourselves in Thessalonica in need, you sent gifts more than once, you, you just kept, you sent us out with, with what we needed and then we're in trouble in Thessalonica and you send more gifts. What is it with these Philippians? They just keep giving. Lest we think they are as affluent as even we are. And we talk about this a lot. This is where we are, it's how we live, where we live. Uh, I want you to listen to Paul's words in 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 8, 1 and 2. I want you to know he's explaining to the Corinthians who are in a financial bind, and, and more than even financial, there's, they're, they are uh, in tremendous need. Um, they're going through, uh, you know, they're going through a time of need. They don't have the resources. And, and he's talking to the Corinthians and saying, do you guys understand where this, this money that I'm giving you, do you understand where it comes from? That's what he's saying to the Corinthians when he says here, now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. Just scratch out Macedonia and go, you know, the church at Philippi was one of those churches. They, the church at Philippi and those churches, probably Thessalonica as well, they are being tested by many troubles and they are very poor. But they are also filled with abundant joy. Do you hear Philippians in that? Which has overflowed in rich generosity. So Paul's saying, look, this, this money's coming from these churches who are in poverty. And he goes on to say, they begged me. Poor churches begged Paul, no, we want to help our brothers in Corinth, the brothers and sisters in Corinth, and so they give. Their poverty did not hinder their generosity. And I'm gonna step out on a bit of a limb here and, and, and I don't wanna make it dogmatic, but could it be their, their poverty fueled their generosity to some degree? In the same way, 
that affluence can actually hinder generosity. You're talking with me? It's like, it's not what you think. Wait, poor church, they won't give much. They gave above and beyond. You know, this is not any particular church I'm naming, but then affluent church, affluent church they, they, they don't give near as much. There's a sense to which that affluence can actually suppress giving. But poverty, what is it about that? But poverty, their deep desperation presses them to Christ in such a way that Christ is so real to them, their hands are wide open. They don't have to hold on to anything else. I say it like this, biblical giving is not about what you have in the bank. It's about who you are in Christ. Can I say this too, just an aside, step aside and go, look, you all, you all, you have spent the last 25 years giving generously. I don't have time to go through and name all these things, but I hope things pop into your mind that we've seen God give through you in so many places, locally and globally. And, and it struck me to Paul's phrase here, I wanna say this to you. And, and I'm saying this on behalf of our local partners and our global partners, whom you have sacrificially given to profoundly. I really believe they would say to you, it has been kind of you to share in our trouble and enter into this partnership of giving and receiving. Okay, 17 and 18. We'll continue through the text. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. Epaphroditus came to Rome where he's in prison, brought him finances and Epaphroditus says, and I'm, the church at Philippi sent me, Paul, to just be here with you for as long as you need me. This is what happened. I have the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. In these two verses, Paul, it's like he opens the curtains on generosity and giving and meeting other people's needs. And he opens the curtain and says, let me show you what's happening behind the scenes. It's not just this gift that comes. Here's what I mean, verse 17. His point there is that their gifts to him revealed to him what God was doing in their heart. And he took great joy in that. It's what, this, what, what, what you're giving demonstrates about your heart and, and, and that it, it's a financial, and, it, and, it, and it's like it accrues to your account. I, I, I didn't mention this the other service. I wanna see it now. What he's talking about there is, you know, there's coming a day, you all, when we all give an account to God. Don't fear this if you're in Christ. You don't give an account for your sins. But, but we do give an account for what we did with what God gave us. That, that's coming, and Paul's noting that, oh my, your giving is, your, it's accruing in your account. You'll stand boldly before the Lord Jesus in light of what God has done in you. I think about it like this. You know, if, if you're a parent, when you've got kids and, and you see one of your kids do something generous for a sibling or a friend, if you, have a, if you have a friend and you know this friend has sacrificed in order to help someone else, 
don't you and your heart go, oh, right? You go, oh, they're not as selfish as I thought. You know, it's, it's, it does. That's what Paul's saying here. He's going, oh, it does my heart good to see your giving because it, it shows that your heart has been changed, transformed. Verse 18, I wanna read this part again. He says, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. He, he's now put their thoughts and ours into the Old Testament sacrificial system where animals were sacrificed you know, to, to atone for sin, et cetera. And, 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 and there's a, the first one of these in, um, after the flood says it was a pleasing aroma to God. Now, now don't think of it like this way, like God, that's good barbecue. You know, he doesn't literally smell it and go, that's gonna taste good. No, it's, it's, it's an image of it is a pleasing aroma because we, we get that and it helps us understand what our sacrifices and acts of obedience are to God. They, they, they please him because it represents our heart surrendered to him. And so this is a plea, this is, this is a, what you have done pleases God, just like the Old Testament sacrifices revealing the hearts of his people were pleasing to him. Now we get to verse 19. Here's where we'll camp for a bit. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. According to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Y'all, we'll sit on that for a moment because if we can sit in it, it will explode your brain. You, I don't know that we could quite even contain or hold it. Paul's saying nothing less than this, that, that God will meet your needs and he's doing it in a manner that's commensurate with all he has and is. I, I didn't wanna use a financial illustration here because I'm gonna argue in a moment that this is not primarily about finances, but it's the easiest way I think we can get this commensurate with thought. The, um, the most recent Forbes 400, which would take the 400 wealthiest individuals in America, combine their wealth, comes up to $1.8 trillion amongst these 400 people. If, if all those 400, imagine all those 400 people got together, $1.8 trillion and commensurate with, in proportion to how much money that is, they're gonna give you a gift. See, not like, hey, we're gonna give them a trillion or we're gonna give them a, a billion. It, it's commensurate with the whole thing they're gonna give. Y'all, you would not be able to spend or give it away in a lifetime. It's just way too much. So God says, I'm gonna meet your needs, commensurate with all I have and all I am. It's infinite. It's infinite. So you see, in that way, if God gave you a financial gift or whatever, it would be commensurate with infinite, infinite amount. You see what he's saying? It would make whatever they gave look like less than a penny compared to the infinite resources and capacity of God and his riches 
in Christ Jesus. He will supply every need of yours. And here is where the rubber meets the road. What does that mean? Does it mean every financial need? And he's been talking about finances this whole, all the way through this. Does it mean health and wealth, well-being? He'll supply for all of that? Well, I, I, I have an answer. It's, it's a qualified answer, but my answer is yes. Yes, it includes finances. Yes, it can, can include health. God, God, there's no disease God can't heal. God continues to heal. and It's not normative, I would say, but it certainly God can and always will be able to heal. So is it money and health? Well, yes. But I don't think, I don't think those are the right questions to really understand the verse. So let me, let me give you what I think is a better question. What supplies do you need for God to get you where he's taking you? I'm gonna say it again. I think the better question to ask is, what supplies do you need for God to get you where he's taking you? Perhaps think of it like this. You're gonna hike the Appalachian Trail. You're gonna start down south in Springer Mountain, Georgia. Your goal is to get 2,200 miles north to Mount Katahdin. I don't even know how to say the word. Some of you have been there, but it's, it's, the, it's the mountain in Maine. And that's where you're gonna, you wanna get. Are you with me now on this? So, you, so the question is, what supplies do you need to get from here to there, and you would get the supplies you need. Let me tell you what you don't need. You don't need a microwave. You don't need your car keys. You don't need a computer. You don't need your workout. You know, you, there's a lot you don't need, but what you need, you, you, you supply yourself to get there. Now, I want you to keep that template in mind because I'm asked the question, what supplies do you need to get to the end that God is taking you? Well, the next logical question is, well, what's the end? What, what's God's promise to where he's taking us? Okay, are y'all tracking with me on this? So now I'm going, where's the end? So I'm gonna have all I need to get there. Well, the, the answer to that question, you can find it all the way from Genesis to Revelation in so many different ways, but I'm only gonna stick with the immediate context. I just, look, I just took chapter one of Philippians and I want you to look at these verses. So come up here on the screen. So what's the goal over here? You know, what, what, where is he bringing, where does he promise to get us? Listen to these verses. Chapter one, verse six, he says, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. May I, may I say this? You will get here. 
If you are in Christ Jesus, you will be, he will finish that work that he's doing. Well, what's the work? Well, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus, that you would get to this place on the day of Christ, righteousness before him, filled with the fruit of righteousness. 125, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stay with you, why? For your progress and joy in the faith. The, 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 your progress and growth in Christ-likeness. 127, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Between when you started, came to faith in Christ, till that day, let your life be, be like Jesus. 129, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. So that's gonna include some suffering. Are you guys with me? So if I, if I restated Combine these and put them in a statement. I'll have two statements here. One's a little longer than the other. What I think is fair to say is that God is bringing the Christian, the goal is that those who trust him demonstrate a growing faith in Jesus in which the very life of Jesus is reproduced, increasingly reproduced in, in our own life from the moment we trust him to the moment we die or he returns. Christ be formed in us. Let me say it another way. What's, what's the end to which God promises he will supply every need you have to get you there? God promises to supply you with whatever you need to be more like Jesus. God promises to supply all you need to be more like Christ. And, and, and may I state the obvious? If that's true, we can say this. That doesn't require any money. It, it doesn't even require health. It certainly doesn't require material wealth. But oh, does it require the infinite riches and resources that are ours through the person and work of Jesus Christ. So wherever you are at any given moment, whatever your need, you can count on God to supply for all your needs, whatever you need, to remain steadfast in Christ, to become more like Jesus. Speaking of keeping it in its context, isn't that what we just read last week? Y'all, this is part two of one of the, the message Rob began last week. And last week, Paul said, I, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He says, I, I've learned the, the secret of being content in all things. What's he saying there? He didn't say it this way. Look, I've learned that when I'm in need, when, when the need is met, I can be content. Hey, I've learned that when things are bad, I can hang on. But when things get good, I'm content. That's not what he said. He said, whether in need or want, whether low or high, I can be content because of Christ and who he is and all that he is to me. Y'all, I've been in this passage all week and sitting with it. And sometimes when I'm studying, you know, your mind just goes to different places. And my mind went to a very familiar passage of scripture to, to, to many. It's in the it's in the book of Hebrews. 
This particular text, it struck me. I go, you know, this, this text has an A side and a B side. Now, when I say that, some of you go, hey, so I'm talking about the 45s that we used to play, 45 RPM, you know, the little disc, the little records, the vinyls, not the album, but think of a little pancake. For those of you young, too young to remember that you wouldn't even know this, but you know, artists would release their songs, you know, not at midnight digitally, but they'd come out on a 45. It was a little record your mom and dad would have. And uh, this little record would have an A side. Can I tell you what was on the A side? The hit. The radio play song. Can I tell you it was on the B side? Uh, I don't know it was on the B side because <laughs> no one paid attention to the B side. It made me think of this verse, this section. There's an A side and then there's a B side. I'm thinking of Hebrews 11. Paul, or the writer, we don't know if it's Paul, we think it could have been, but the writer of Hebrews recounting those who walk by faith. Here's the A side. By faith, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, I'm summarizing, Moses, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, all the prophets. They conquered kingdoms. They enforced justice. They obtained promises. They stopped the mouths of lions. They quenched the power of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. They were made strong out of weakness. They became mighty in war. They put foreign armies to flight. Women received back the dead by resurrection. Women Apparently children died and and they came back to life by resurrection. Can you imagine how amazing that provision was? That's the A side. Here's the B side. Others were tortured, refusing to accept release so they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mockings flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, had no proper clothing. Afflicted, mistreated, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. I'm serious when I ask this. For which of these groups was Philippians 4.19 true for? Right? Yeah, both. We need not look any farther than our Savior, Jesus. He never owned a home. He was rejected by his own. He was falsely accused and sentenced to die for crimes he didn't commit. He was betrayed by a friend, abandoned by his best friends. He was beaten and pummeled publicly. He was nailed to a cross. He died owning nothing but the tunic on his back. And I asked this question, was Philippians 4.19 true for Jesus. A thousand percent yes. Perfectly true. 
Jesus came to seek and save the lost. That's where Jesus was going, the cross. And to get there, what he had to go through in his humanity, God supplied every need according to his riches in himself for his own son to get to the cross, to die on that cross, to be buried, to be raised again so that he could bring many sons and daughters to himself. Oh my goodness. See, we must keep Philippians 4.19 connected to Philippians 1.6. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ. If you're in Christ, you will get there. God promises it. He promises to supply all your needs along the way in his timing and in his way. Which brings us to our invitation to joy. See, now we can go to 19 with, with joy, with confidence. I'm not even gonna put a slide on the screen. I'm just gonna ask you to do this. And I wanna invite the worship team to come back out. I'm gonna give you a moment to ask for what you need. I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey. I love that Carl shared his story because this is the journey of faith. We go through ebbs and flows and times of discouragement. Life is rough. This world is fallen. And I want you to ask your heavenly father for what you need based on a proper understanding of 419. And he will supply. May I say this? You notice I didn't take the finances out or the health out. I didn't. Because that's included in all God would do. But don't forget where he's taking us and what that means for you. Would you do that now? I'm I'm very serious. We always are because we don't want to just read this and go, well, that was interesting. Or even say, I understand it. We're changed by the truth as we live it. And so take a moment, ask the Holy Spirit to enable you to ask your heavenly father for what you need and, and, and to trust and know that he will supply.